Welcome back to The Greatness Blueprint. I'm your host, Luke Austin. And this week, we had our first repeat guest on the show, Elise Martindale. Elise is a close friend, an entrepreneur, a fashion designer, and lives in Idaho with her husband and two kids. Elise and I are often sharing quotes, insights, things that we learn or read, or things that inspire us. And what we did today is we both picked our top 10 to bring to the table for a discussion. It's a great episode. We talked about so much. I know you'll love it. Episode 24 of The Greatness Blueprint starts now. This episode of The Greatness Blueprint is brought to you by me. My blood, sweat, and tears feel this podcast. If you have interest in being a sponsor on the show, you can reach out to me at my email at luke at greatness-blueprint.com. Would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, please like, subscribe so you never miss an episode. I want to make sure we continue to share all the things we talk about with the community. Thanks for tuning in. Elise, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Glad Thanks. to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back. Yeah. So me and Elise did episode 13 of The Greatness Blueprint last year. What are we on? This is episode 24. Damn. I know. Wow. I would say for the first 23 episodes, there's been a pretty specific way that we've done, especially guest interviews where we talk about some of the things that they're passionate about, a little bit about their background. And today's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Both of us put together roughly our top 10 insights, quotes, things that we've learned over the last year. It's easy to see a lot of these things on social media and say, wow, that's a really cool insight and then never do anything with it. So wanted to take a step back and say, what are the things that we've taken, we've learned, and we've actually been able to action or reflect on and it's had an impact in our lives and go back and forth. And I think I put together my 10, you put together your 10. We don't really know what each other did. So it's going to be a little bit of wild west, but I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. All right. First one here. It's normal to not know what you're doing. If you did, it wouldn't be called growth. High five your fear, uncertainty, and doubt and carry on. I love that one. It's a good one. It's good. Strong start. So tell me a little bit about what this means to you. Uh, well, 2023, I started um, my own design brand, um, clothing brand, which I've never done before. I've never worked in clothing. I've only worked in finance or business. And I literally know nothing. I know a little bit how to sew. I know what I think looks good, but I know very little beyond that. And it's all been learning. Uh, and it's incredibly humbly as well. So I like that one because it makes me feel like I'm not alone in the, in the not knowing phase. Yeah. yeah you, you get into something new like that and there's going to be fears, right? Mm -hmm. But knowing that there is a fear makes you feel like you're in the right place. You're like, Oh, Hey, I didn't see you yet, but now you're there. I'm in the right spot. I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. And knowing that it's not an unusual feeling. In fact, feeling that way, everyone does that. Yeah. It's actually a rite of passage. You have to feel like you don't know anything or else. What are you doing? Um, so that was, I think incredibly calming to my psyche to be able to say, I know nothing and that's okay. Cause the only way is up. It's only going to get easier from here because I'll learn and know more and get better and 
go from there. Yeah. Yeah. We're always, humans are innately risk averse, right? We run away from things that are scary. That's just our human nature. We protected us and helped us survive when in olden days, right? And now as we face these new challenges in our lives, it's not running away from a bear, but it feels like that, right? These new challenges where we don't know what we're doing at all. And so being able to recognize that we're all going through that as we go over these new challenges and high-fiving it and moving on, I think is, is pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. What's it mean to you? It's a good question. You know, I think over the last year, as I went through some of my own challenges, uh, specifically, I think the pivot point for me was when I had my injury, my Achilles injury. And I was doing, you know, some things before that, but when that happened, it really made me stop and say, you know what, I'm a little bit disorganized, maybe not focused on the right things. And I started to think like, what's next for me? What's, what, what can I do to propel myself? And as I started to do that, I realized that there was a lot of things that I didn't know. And I was like, should I start this? Should I start that? I didn't know what to do. And so I decided to jump into this podcast, right? This is one of the things that I couldn't do anything physically. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stretch myself mentally. I got into doing this. And those first, I don't know, eight episodes, eight weeks, two months, I every week I was just learning new things, right? I didn't know how to, I didn't know what kind of microphone I needed, just basics, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, should I do this? Should I do that? And so for me, that quote kind of encapsulated my experience as I went through that growth phase of every week I was going through this new fear, this new uncertainty and overcoming it allowed me to, to continue to move. And so it was kind of almost the motto I had for last year. Love it. Yeah. All right. You want to move on to your first one? Yeah. My first is my first one is one that I talked about in our last episode, actually. Nice. Comparison is the thief of joy. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite ones. That's great. Yeah. Comparison is, it's so tricky because it's so easy to do. We see these people on the surface that have this life that we think we want but we don't know what's actually happening under the surface. We don't know if, you know, they went through a serious family struggle recently, divorce, whatever it was, right? They, how did they get there? We don't know. All we see is the end result or what we think is the end result on social media. And it makes it hard. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it does. What does it mean to you? Oh boy. I think my cross to bear in life is comparison. (laughs) I think I've been comparing myself to others since I was, you know, three years old on the playground. Um, so it is, it's, and it's incredibly limiting if you allow it to take away from what you've built or what you've been given. And I think I've had to learn through some very painful lessons that, gosh, we have so much that we've been given every day that we take for granted and people look at our lives and say, man, I really want that. You know, when you're not married, you really want to be married. And then you take that for granted. And you, if you don't have children, but want children, then you look at people with big families and you compare yourself to Right. And so there's this constant, um, comparison. And I think, you know, my 25 year old self would look at 
where I'm at now and the opportunities I've been given and, you know, two beautiful children and a great husband and beautiful home and da, 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 da. And I think my 25 year old self would look at me and go, that looks pretty good. But as a 35 year old, am I doing the same thing and looking at this and saying, you know, just being thankful for what I have every day and not playing the game of keeping up with the Joneses or comparing myself to someone who has maybe completely different experiences or who had to go through something really challenging and brutal that I would never want to have to go through to get where they are. Um, I think that's the other thing is we never get to, we never see the journey. We only see the big house or we only see the BMW. We never see the journey or the late nights and weekends and sweat and tears and blood that they spent getting to those things. And maybe if we knew that we wouldn't be that, that uh, jealous of it anyway. Yeah. How do you draw the line between comparing, but also using some comparison in a way to help fuel you in what you do to continue to try to achieve and um, I guess, learn and grow. Oh man. I think what I've had to learn is there are some things that are not worth the effort. So there are some things that look very shiny, like second homes or I don't know, traveling abroad every summer or whatever it is. You could have a million different things that look very shiny, but that aren't actually worth the effort and the time that it takes. And so narrowing down, what is it that my soul yearns for? Not that other people are telling me to yearn for. Um, I don't, I don't need a house in Miami. That's not my dream. So I don't need to compare myself to someone who has a house in Miami. And so I think just being very identifying my own dream and then saying, okay, how do I go get that? And who, who maybe has achieved some of that, that I can learn from, not compare myself to, but just learn from. And that's a different, I think, approach than just he's driving a Mercedes and I'm not. Yeah. I think it's almost what you choose to compare, Mm -hmm. right? If someone has the flashy cars, but you don't value flashy cars, but society says, Oh, flashy cars are cool because that's what everybody shows. Maybe instead it's comparing yourself to someone who has a very solid family, but it's a little more reserved. They don't put themselves out there that much, but maybe that's more in line with what you're looking for and what your values and beliefs align with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that. Any other thoughts on that one? No, I think, I mean, I have plenty of thoughts, but we should move on. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to get, I know we have a lot here. (laughs) All right. I'll move on to my second one here. Knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. Mm. That's good. What, which piece of that speaks to you the most? As I went through, I would say some self-transformation last year, I did a lot of introspective work where I was faced with maybe external challenges and maybe historically I would have reacted a certain way. And instead of taking that on the surface and just letting it be, I said, all right, let me, let me look inward first. What are the things that are making me react? Mm. Right. What are, because every situation you get into, 
maybe that causes you to react a certain way, it's because you have some belief or experience with something similar that's causing you to have some reaction in that way. And so looking inward and saying, you know what, I'm reacting this way because of X, Y, and Z. Let's look back at what caused me to react in that way to begin with. Can I reframe the way I look at it? Which will then allow me to say these external factors aren't going to impact me anymore because I'm changing the way that I'm looking at my life experiences. Mm. A good example of this would be relationships, right? You get into relationships and often you project some of these things onto the other individual in certain situations that are often due to some of your own insecurities. And so reflecting on your own insecurities to say, I, I can't project that on someone else. I need to solve that inner part of myself first, then gives you true power to go into any situation and almost control your reality, mm. right? Because your reactions are based upon the reality that you dictate. That's interesting. I think, yeah, I think it's the, the realization I had to have was I, so much of my discontent was due to expectations I had placed on others, expectations that we were all going to play by the rules or that we were, we all had the same values and it was very defeating for me to realize that that is not the case. But now that I've reset expectations and said not everyone was going to um, maybe be as transparent as I like to be. Not everyone is going to, you know, be just live up to my expectations because they don't, you don't, they don't have to live up to my expectations. They have their own life. It's I'm the one who's setting those expectations for them and then in turn being upset by that. Um, if I don't put my expectations on others, then I, I'm tend to be a lot less stressed out and a lot more accepting of just who that individual is. Mm -hmm. Um, and it relieves a lot of stress and anxiety in my life mm -hmm. to be able to say that they're, they're just not going to live up to that expectation, which is fine. Cause that's mine, not theirs. Right. And I just have to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think drawing the line in the sand and say, this is what I expect if you can't meet it. Okay. That's just the way it's going to be is powerful as well. Yeah. And then I can choose what my reaction is. Yeah. Either if they don't meet that expectation, either I continue to engage with them and recognize that that'll just never be something that we agree on, or I can choose to do something else and have a relationship with someone else. So. Right. You, just, you don't just harbor that, yeah. that stress because it's not there. Yeah. 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 I like that. That's great. Next. Next. Uh, we'll see if you actually finish this book. Hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. That's a good one. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. I did not finish that book. <laughs> uh, but I know which book you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. Yeah. It, I mean, it is so easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Everything is so fast paced. And as you know, as a parent, you've got your kids practices, you got to get them to school, you got to wake them up, you got to get them breakfast. There's so many things that you're doing every single day just to live your life. Mm -hmm. 
then you compound a busy career Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, be healthy, focus on wellness, do the things you love, all these hobbies and, and, and side aspirations. It gets easy to lose sight of what's truly important. And so if I reflect on this quote and look at my past year, there were a lot of times when prior to the injury, I'm going to bring that up again because it was just a huge part of me. I was going a million miles an hour. I was going super fast. I was playing on three softball teams. I was going out, probably drinking too much. I was doing things that just weren't healthy for me because that hurry just felt like where I needed to be. And it was probably distracting me from what truly mattered, family time and focusing on my health and wellness. But it felt like it was this intoxicating, exciting life that I was living. In reality, it was distracting. Hmm. So that's kind of what I take away from that quote. Yeah. What about you? I think the worst version of myself is when I am hurrying. So I make the most mistakes. I'm the the most impatient. I'm the least loving, especially with my children, when I'm in a hurry. If I, I mean, think about Sundays. I never yell on Sundays because you just have, you have a whole day to, you know, do four or five things, right? There's just less hurry within those days. And that's the most grounded and patient and and loving I feel. And then the minute hurry comes into that, all that kind of (laughs) goes away. Mm -hmm. All the impatient comes back. And so, and you know, in this book, which is, um, the ruthless elimination of hurry is the book I'm referencing, which I've read now probably four or five times. Um, he mentions love can never be done in a hurry. Like if you think about when, you know, you first fall start dating someone, fall in love, that just all it is is time. It's just time spent together in time. And it, the way children feel love is time. Time equals love to children. And so that cannot be done in a hurry. And I think that's just so telling about how you have to reframe your life to be able to have time to spend. You cannot rush through. You can't outsource loving your children um, or loving a partner well or anything like that. So. I think that's what I take. The other quote that I love from this book is, um, if Satan cannot make you sin, he will make you busy. And so I think it's the same kind of idea that you just fill your life up. And like you said, it you didn't have a bad life. It was, it was just busy. It was full of things that weren't adding a ton of value. Yeah. Um, and so you're in a hurry to do all these things that weren't ultimately getting you further to where you wanted to be. And I think that's just so telling of, um, how distracting just being in a hurry and being busy can be. It can be something so simple. You get your kids to school and like, hurry in, hurry in, you got to get to class for what? Yep. For, for two extra minutes, Mm -hmm. like slow down. It's okay. Showing up late's okay. It happens every now and then. Life goes on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I love that one. Me too. Moving on to number three here. People are going to tell you it isn't going to work. They'll be right until they're not. 
<laughs> I had another quote, but it might be in yours, so I'm gonna leave that one out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's see. We will. Yeah, such a good one. That's a good one. I think. Oh man, I I mean, because we 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 obviously but we both know where this is coming from, but you know, they talk about how you bring home a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever to your family and your family says, no, oh, this isn't going to work out until it does. It's not the person you're going to marry until you marry, you find the one you're going to marry. Um, and I think that's just so telling is that there was someone, oh, there was someone on Chris Williamson's show who was talking about being in Silicon Valley, you know, 20 years ago. And the only guys that actually failed in the long run were the ones who quit. So every single one of those guys that, you know, there were 10 of those guys who started kind of the same time and we're all starting these businesses and yada. All of them had businesses fail, but ultimately, and sometimes it took 19 years, something was successful for every single one of them, except the guy who quit and went back to Omaha and, you know, as a financial advisor or whatever it is. It's just everyone was right about them failing until they were wrong. Yeah. And I think that's just so, such a unique perspective because I think failure is a fear that we've built up in our minds and actually failure in our society because it can be incredibly public, especially nowadays. Yeah. And it creates this massive stigma uh, but really the only failure is if you just stop. Right. And I think it makes it harder when you're already taking the plunge yourself. You're already facing your own fears. And when you talk with people that you trust or even people that you don't trust, but people that you know, and they feed your fears by telling you that it's going to take 10 years it might fail and focusing on all of the negatives that are really, if you think about it, just projections of why they haven't done it. Yeah. It makes it much harder. I had a conversation with someone a few months ago and I was talking about some of the things I'm doing and they said, you know, probably going to take you 10 years or more and not saying it like you can do it in 10 years. Like, Oh, you probably shouldn't do it because it's going to take 10 years mm-hmm. on the flip side. If, if you look at the time it takes to be a true master of anything, right? Five, seven years, those years are going to pass you by either way. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be five, seven years down the road and say, you didn't make any moves or you said, you know what? Here I am. I got started. You sat on the sidelines and now I'm mastering whatever you, whatever you tackle. And it might take longer than that. It might be shorter, but if you don't start, you'll never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So good. So good. Love that one. Okay. I don't know if I should do this one. I think I'm going to save that one. Okay. This is a longer one, but I love this one. Okay. This is the true joy in life to be used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, to be a force of nature. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work, the more I live. Wow. That's a good one. What does that mean to you? I think, oh man. I think to me, it's this idea. I think growing up, 
there always seemed to be a point in time where you were just successful. Like that was just it. Mm-hmm. You made it in your career or you made it in your whatever, right? You had a certain house or a certain income or a certain amount of savings, whatever. And there was that point that you would reach and that was it. And I think to me, this means, you know, the harder I work, the more I live and I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. It's just, it's that same idea of leaving it all out on the field. Um, where you look back and you say, yeah, not everything I did was successful, but man, I put my heart and soul into it. Yeah. And things that I've really committed to, even if they haven't been successful, there's still value in just that level of commitment you gave to that thing. And I love that idea of being used up instead of trying to hold back part of yourself just to protect yourself just in case. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just not leaving anything on the table. Yeah. I took it a little bit differently, kind of on the same frame, but being thoroughly used up to me means you're not just focused on you, mm. right? You are finding ways that you can use up your impact on say a community or a group of people that surround yourself with. And instead of, I I think in the early days of any career, it's at least for me, it was, it was very much, what can I do to get better? What can I focus on for myself? How can I make more money? How can I get that next title? Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten further along, and I think you have to go through that to get here, but as I've gotten further along, I've realized that I find more value when I give and I do things for other people and I mentor and I help people with their own career. And I think some people never get to that point where they shift their focus on chasing a singular thing like money or a title or the next big role and shift to say, you know what, how can I just impact as many people as possible? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the effort is the reward and I don't think people, I don't think we understand that. I I definitely didn't understand that, but sometimes that is the reward is just improving yourself Mm -hmm. through that effort. Maybe you won't ever get the reward you think you're chasing after, but the reward is a stronger self or a stronger, an ability to bounce back or, just be more resilient in life. Yeah. You might fail along the way, but you're going to learn through that. Yeah. I like that. All right. Moving on to the next one here. We've still got quite a few. <laughs> All right. If you're not willing to be the worst and be terrible and fail, you'll never be the best. And what this means to me is as I was thinking about this quote, I looked at my daughter, right? She's five years old. She is in kindergarten. And last night she was playing this little game pad that she has her iPad and you can decorate this little mermaid thing. And then at the bottom you can write your name and she's done it for probably the last couple of years. She plays it every now and then. And so at the bottom, as I scrolled through it, I could see the history of how she wrote her name. Mm. And from three years to now five years, it progressively gets better and better and better and better. She even noticed it herself last night. She said, oh, my handwriting is better on the more recent ones 
because she's practiced. And I parallel that into the life of an adult. We go into new things, new jobs, new businesses, and we think we have to be perfect on day one. We have to have it all figured out. We have to know everything maybe before we even get started. And so maybe we never even start. But taking a lesson out of a a kid's book, we let our kids learn over years of time, learn how to handwrite years over time. Why are we not giving ourselves that same grace to say, I'm going to continue to learn. I'm going to continue to tinker and get better. And this product that I had when I first started, oh, two years later, it's going to be better. And then the next two years, it's going to be better. And so that's what it means to me. Yeah, I think to me, you can probably tell based on how I answer these, what one of my failings is, but I'm, as one of my high school teachers said um, to my mom, he said, Elise probably has a little bit too much confidence for her own good, (laughs) Uh, which is true. But it's the humility piece that I think is so critical. It's very hard for me. It's always been hard for me to be the worst at something. Don't, I do not like that. Um, but if I don't try something new, then I just never am going to grow. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be willing to be the worst at it. And I have to be willing to say the wrong thing. I mean, it's the same with, right. I'm starting to work with a French team. My French is okay, but it's not great. And so I make mistakes all the time. And I know I sound like an idiot and I know I'm probably saying some things that they're like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even French. <laughs> yeah, she just, she just, is that Spanish? What is that? I know. There's times where I'm like, is that, yeah. is that even a word? And they'll be like, no. And I'm like, well, I tried. But it really is, it's a very humbling to be in that situation where, you know, I have a skill set, but that skill set is very hard to translate into another language, into a second language. And so there's this level of humility I have to have of just saying, how do, how do I say that? Did I say that right? How can I, you know, how can I say that better? How would you have said that? And so there's this constant feedback and it's just this level of humility I've had to have, which is, I think five years ago would have been much harder for me now. Uh, Now I realize how little people care about you and you know what they yeah. think about you. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to improve and that's all I can do. Sure. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's the, it's the humility thing. That's been the hardest pill to swallow to be the willing to be the worst to get better has always been hard. I think it gives you perspective. I have a piggyback quote from Ellen DeGeneres. It's failure that gives you the proper perspective on success. Mm-hmm. And so if you just have success from day one, like, Oh, it's not even valuable. Right. So you have to go through some of that to see that the end result is actually worth trying for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next one. Okay. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. That's Aristotle. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I like that. What does that mean to you? Hmm. We are what we repeatedly do. I think, I think for me, I'm not great at habits. I'll do something for three to six months and then it kind of trails off. I was, I've always been that way. And so 
But I think establishing that habit is so critical. And sometimes we forget, we, th- we think that excellence is one moment of an exceptional action, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the right. It's the Rocky cut scene. It only takes two minutes in the movie. Yep. It takes 10 years in real life. Um, and I think we forget that habit. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a woman who Ripley Raider, who's, uh, a designer, she started an American clothing brand ten year, over 10 years ago, I think 11 or 12 years ago now. And she sort of went viral about 18 months ago. And I'm wearing her pants right now. Ooh, wow. American made, yeah. Shout great. out. <laughs> yeah, she's great. But she had been literally doing the thing for 10 years. And then she got this viral um, ad and statement and something funny where it was like, you know, my client told me that she wears these pants when she wants to get a promotion or she wants to get laid. (laughs) Just like, right. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) That's all we want. (laughs) That's all you need. That's all we need. (laughs) So that went viral. Uh, and then she hit it really big and yada, yada, yada. But she'd been doing this for 10 years. And so everyone, you know, hot brand and how did you know how did you get to the spot and i remember her saying in the forbes article just no one saw me for 10 years like i have been doing this i've been you know setting up my supply lines i have been um iterating on my core style core pieces making them better and better and better and finding the right fabrics for 10 years she's like no one saw that everyone thinks we're an overnight success mm-hmm. and the only way you know Proof eyeglasses is a great example of this. They, I believe they're a company out of Idaho. Have you seen them? They're the wooden like eyeglasses. Yeah, th- their offices are downtown. Yeah. yeah. But they had sort of done a Hail Mary and sent a pair of glasses to like Jay-Z or something. And then they wore them and then it exploded. But they, they had only been around for maybe a year or two and they could not handle the growth. Yeah. So they've actually really struggled from that level of notoriety that early on um because they hadn't done the reps you know year over year over year over year and so with ripley raider she had done the reps so the minute she was ready to hit it big but it had taken 10 years of doing that same thing and she had the this pant style for 10 years and only now did it really hit big only now did you know the marketing work plus you know the interest in american-made fashion plus the style change that you know we've been going through so she finally got it there and I think it's a real crime to discount how much she had to put into that to get where she is today. Totally. Yeah. As I think about that, I think habits are certainly very important and that's a great story, but she wasn't doing the exact same thing for 10 years. Right. I think what people get wrong about habits is they have to stay exactly the same Mm. forever. Interesting. And that, I think that's a little bit too much of a finite perspective. Whereas, you know, for maybe the next six months, your habit is focused on your wellness. And so you're getting up, you're doing a cold plunge, maybe you go to the gym and you get yourself to a a pretty strong baseline from the gym and you move on to the next habit that continues to propel you as an individual for this business. I would assume she continued to tinker on different parts of the business over those 10 years. And I think that's the same thing with habits. You continue to tinker How can you be the best self Mm -hmm. by modifying the way that you go throughout your day, kind of 
continuing to have habits, but they might slightly look different over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That makes me feel better about my habits. There's <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Not an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to say, I'm, I'm just going to call it, I have iterative habits. Yeah, you're just tinkering until you make yeah. it. Yeah. I'm just tinkering on things over time. I like it. To get better. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right, moving on to next one here. Make the move before you're ready. Preparing yourself to move is the biggest waste of time you'll ever tell yourself. What's that mean to you? I think we get, get it wrong that we have to be ready to do something, right? Nobody's ever ready for something new. You can be in a place where you're limiting distractions. I think that's a fair baseline where maybe you've done enough inner work or self work or have enough of a baseline to help propel yourself to something new but you're not going to know all the things you need to know unless you get started. Right. And so waiting is just kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I've, I've been bad at this in my life too, where I procrastinate on things. I push it off until the very last minute. Do it now. Right. If I have a list of things to do and I wait until tomorrow to do it at the very last minute, I always feel super stressed out. If I have a list of things and I do it all and I do it in four hours right away, I always feel better. And so for me, it's not waiting until you're ready to do something. It's just getting going and figuring it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, there's a there's a quote that reminds me of it that I didn't put it on my list. It didn't make the cut, but uh, the one where it, I think it says... Do today what your tomorrow self will be thankful you completed. And I think about that all the time where I'm like, what would my tomorrow self be really happy I did today? Uh, And I think that that really helps kind of relieve that stress and kind of uh, do a favor for my future self. And some people run away from a fear instead, right? So thinking about your future self, what would I not want to do? If I skip this workout, is tomorrow self going to be mad at me? Right? Okay. Then you better get to the gym. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Everybody has slightly different motivations. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. This is a twofer. Let's go. Okay. The new definition of procrastination. Procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do what you already had time to do. And then God always gives us exactly enough time to do what matters. How do you take this in your life? I'm a master procrastinator. I do better when I have a very set fixed time that I have to complete something. And if I have more than that, I will take up every minute. And so I think you know, applying that procrastination is the assumption that God owes me another opportunity. I'm trying to apply that to starting this clothing business and saying, yeah, I could take another year and a half or two years to do it, Mm -hmm. to launch or whatever. But I've 
I feel like I have a God-given vision and I feel like I have the flexibility currently in life to do this. I might not have that. I have no idea what a year and a half out looks like. It could change completely. Um, there's so many unknowns. And so it's, it's arrogant of me to assume that somehow in 18 months it'll, I'll have more freedom or more time or be more disciplined or somehow be in a better position to do this thing that I know I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that idea that it's just this, yeah, you have to not make the assumption that you're going to just get more time to do these things. And I think also with kids too, you know, I look and they're, they're just not going to be six and five forever. No. And so you think that, Oh, we could do that next weekend or I could take them to a park next time or I could, you know, take them for a mommy son date or a mommy daughter date next month. And it's just that assumption that they're forever going to be at this stage where they want to hang out and think that I'm cool and, Mm -hmm. and they're just not. Yeah. And so I think that that's being present in that and then being willing to do the work today because making the assumption that somehow my tomorrow self will be more willing to do it is probably wrong. Yeah. Time is fleeting. We, yeah, we don't know what is promised in the future. And I think the kids analogy is perfect because, you know, there are times when I come home from a long day and I'm worn out, mm-hmm. I'm tired. And I'm like, you know what? We should have a movie night, <laughs> you know, as every parent does. And, you know, instead of going out and playing, building a fort, something that would be more memorable and valuable long-term, you think, oh, I can just, we'll, we'll do the fort next time. Yeah. And it's not promised. You never know what can happen. And so slowing down and realizing that if you have the opportunity now, you have to take it. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. One of the families I grew up with, they told each other they loved them and gave them a hug. Even if it gave their kids a hug, even if the kids were going like down the street to play always. And I remember one day asking them about it and they said, you never know when the last time is that you're going to be able to hug them and say, I love you. And that was so, that was so impactful to me. And I think that's just the same idea of not procrastinating. Right. And your kids are getting older. You don't know when they're going to be like, Hey mom, I don't want to play with you anymore. No, I'm always going to be cool. (laughs) I love it. I love that one. That's a really good quote. All right. Moving on to my next one here. Strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't. Okay. It's similar to some of the ones we've already talked about, but it's this concept of, of stacking the proof, right? As you continue to do things that you didn't think you could do, and maybe you failed at it, but then you overcame that failure. You start to build this level of resiliency internally that even if you hit a blocker or a pivot point, something in your life where you have to make a decision, do I go forward? Do I stop? Because you've continued on through so many of those difficult challenges and you've been successful, you start to build that. Okay. I know I'm going to fail at something because I've done it so many times, but when you come there, it doesn't feel like a shock and therefore you're able to navigate it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's like that thing we've talked about where motiv- motivation 
is like courage. You have to act motivated even when you're not. And that then will beget more motivation to do the thing. I think it's the same same concept around the strength of it. Yeah. And building that strength. But it's hard. It is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard. Because there's moments you're like, man, it would be so easy just to stop. Yep. But you can't. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this one has a story behind it. And it's kind of contextual, so I'll talk about the story. But So the quote is, we had absolutely nothing, no industry connections, no cosign, no hype. We just believed in ourselves. The old guard is no longer relevant. You could do it as well. All you need to do is try. So this is from Mike Amiri, who his brand Amiri is a L.A.-based, American-made, luxury menswear uh, line. And he started his line, I think 10 or 11 years ago, in a basement. So he started a luxury fashion house in a basement wow. and was hand sewing everything. Um, and like, like this quote says, he, he and his wife had saved up $30,000, uh, put it all into buying the fabrics for him to do his first line under this Amiri brand that he was building. And he knew he had started a few other brands and da, 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 but Amiri was obviously his last name and he knew if he put his name on it, it better work. And so he worked, you know, nights and weekends and all the time and started with just one, one rail in one boutique in LA. And now he has, you know, luxury, he has a flagship store in LA. He has the, all these luxury sh stores. I think worldwide it's a hundred million dollar brand. Wow. I mean, he's literally built a luxury fashion house out of LA, which is very unusual. I mean, we're talking Dior, right? Louis Vuitton, like the, that level of, of, um, of a fashion house out of LA and he built it out of basement. And I think it's just an incredible story because no one th goes to find the next, you know, Louis Vuitton, the next Dior, the next Yves Saint Laurent in a basement. Yeah. Are you searching out a basement for your, your clothing brand now? Hopefully not a basement, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not a basement, but I mean, we're starting out in a tiny little room. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that's perfect because we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but trying to have the perfect conditions to start something versus just starting. Oh, you have a basement. Great. You have a garage, do it in the garage. You have nothing. Okay. Maybe you're working out of your car for a little bit, mm -hmm. finding ways to go to the coffee shop and spend some time doing things that you know is right for you because now is the time to do it. Yeah. Don't wait for the perfect condition and just get started yep. and you can see the results. Sounds yeah, like it was get effective. If he had waited for the perfect conditions, it, he never would have started. Exactly. Yeah. Are you hand sewing yours? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You wouldn't. No. I'm not. I'm having professionals do that. Okay. I'm designing them though. <laughs> hey, pick your poison, right? Yeah. Yep. There's only so much. Yeah. I got to outsource something. You got to know your strengths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sewing's not my strength. <laughs> nice. All right. Next one here for me. This is focused a little bit more on like as we look back on our life, like what do we want our legacy to be? And this is from Nick Saban. Ask yourself, if my ass didn't show up today, would anyone know? Then you know you did something of significance. Hmm. 
it's tough as you go through your life. I mean, we're in our thirties, right? We're still young. We still have a lot of life, hopefully to live. <laughs> and, and so it's difficult to see the long term of what you're doing now and how it will impact the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. If you don't take a moment to stop and say, what am I doing and how will this impact the way that I impact people? And to me, legacy means, I think people get legacy a little bit wrong in the sense that it's focused a lot on achievement. We talk about legacy and it's, Oh, this guy's in the hall of fame for sports or he's, world famous singer, right? He did all these things that were important in society's eyes. But to me, legacy is a little bit more nuanced on that than that. And it's a little bit more focused on how much impact can you have on everyone around yourself? So if I look at the first 31 years of my life, a lot of it was focused on me, right? How can I get to that next level? How can I get a scholarship? How can I be the best football player? How can I be the best in the career that I'm doing? I think as you become a parent, this shifts a little bit, right? You, you stop focusing so much on yourself and you just by force of nature, you have to start focusing on how can you build up these little humans? And I think as you do that, you start to realize that that's a very fun and energetic part of being. And you start to, at least for me, start to do that more broadly. You go from being in your mid twenties to, and having kids to your thirties and saying, you know what, I want to do what I'm doing with my child, raising them. And I also want to help others learn and grow in their own lives. So me, as I look at, would anybody miss me? Maybe as a 25 year old, probably not. Right. Cause I was too focused on myself, but as I progress into my thirties and I'm still working on this, but finding ways to impact as many people as I can. And I think, through that, you kind of build that, you know, would anybody miss me? Potentially because you had impact on them in their lives. You left an imprint. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think a different facet of this as well that I've found as I've aged and gotten wiser is just reaffirming the impact others have had on you. I had a very close friend from college who killed herself about seven years ago. And she had some, obviously some, some challenges with depression and all sorts of things. And I remember I had texted her probably a month before she died and said like, Hey, I'd all, you know, I always think of this one crazy night that we had. <laughs> and I remember her saying, Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. I wish at that point I had told her, how often I thought of her because now I think about her and I can't tell her. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had texted her when I thought of her and said, Hey, you really, I think about you and how hard, how hard of a worker she was and how funny she was. And, um, just the energy that she brought into a room. And I always think like, I wonder if she had known or if I had just told her that more, if that would have helped. Yeah. And so that's another thing that's come with age is I know, you know, as man, like we're both managers, right? How often do the people we manage come to us and say, Hey Luke, I really just appreciate you as a person. Never. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. They never, never do that. Yeah. And so now as a man, as a middle manager, 
I try and tell, you know, those above me too. If I, if I do truly appreciate them, I try and tell them that because I know if they're in my position, they're not hearing that very often. And I think it's very, it is kind of hard to go through life and wonder like, does ever anyone care if I don't show up today? And so I'm trying then to internalize that and say, there are so many people in my life that I'm really thankful showed up and I damn well better tell them that. Yeah. Uh, And so I'm trying to do that more with my, you know, my parents and, and those close to me is just be like, man, I'm really glad that you're in my life because you, you have a positive impact on that. And if we don't say that people will never know. Kind of merge that with one of the earlier topics about never knowing, right? When the last time to be able to say something to somebody, mm-hmm. I think it, I've heard this through another podcast, but when you think of someone, tell them, mm-hmm. right? If you're thinking about a friend, shoot them a text, right? You never know if you're going to be able to say that same thing again. Yeah. And so it's important to both have the people in your life that you, that you have value for, but also like you said, letting them know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is another twofer, but I thought it, these were both really good, but they're the same kind of idea. So I keep betting on myself because I have found that I am my own best lottery ticket. That's Reese Witherspoon. And then the second one is no matter where you start, you have to be the first one that believes in you and the greatness you possess. The rest of the world will catch up later. So I took this specifically. Reese was giving a speech at some award I think she'd gotten for her production company, which is called Hello Sunshine. She was talking about how, you know, she's in her 40s now and when she was in her 20s and just, you know, her career was starting up and acting and all all these things, she had been told, you know, save your money now because when you hit 40, you're done. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a female actor, you hit 40, no more jobs. Right. And so they said, you know, save your money um, basically she did the opposite. She took her money and invested it into this production company and took a bet on herself. And she said in the speech, she said, I'm making more money now than I ever have. Mm -hmm. She said, that's not to brag. That's just to show you that sometimes other people will put limitations on yourself that you should not. And so I love that idea. Same, that second quote was from Mike Amiri, same guy, Amiri, um, fashion house and it's that same idea that like you got to clap for yourself for a really long time before Mm -hmm. anyone else will you do yeah one of this a similar quote i'm sure you've seen the video is from matthew mcconaughey when he's giving the speech oh yeah and he's 15 years old and he's asked who's your hero and he doesn't know right so he goes back he thinks about it the person comes back and says who's your hero he says my hero is me in 10 years Right. So 10 years pass by that person comes up to him and says, are you a hero now? And he says, no, my hero is me at 35. And this concept that you're continuously betting on yourself in the future, say, I know that I'm going to get where I want to go, but not stopping. Right. She didn't stop at 40. Like everyone said she should, she continued to push on and do things that maybe others didn't expect her to Yeah, and branched out. Yeah. She did this brilliant thing where she started a book club. And I remember I follow her on Instagram just because I've always respected her. But I remember being like, why is she doing a book club? I don't get it. You know, she's a Academy Award winning actress. 
uh, she can sing, she can do a lot of things. And she was, she had this brilliant idea where she would offer to have this book in her book club, but she had, she got the rights to turn it into a movie later on. So she held on to those rights. So the, what the author got out of it was a huge platform, right? Everyone who follows Reese would see their book and then maybe have to give away the rights to a movie for a few years. Well, then that turned into all these amazing things she's been able to do with her production company, which was just really genius. That is genius. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. You start a book club. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what we got to, we'll do a book club next. Yeah. Book club's next. <laughs> but you have to read the freaking books I send you. I read some of them. <laughs> you just send me a lot. <laughs> got a lot of books to read. <laughs> I know. It's true. I love that. All right. Next one here. It's a little bit of a different topic, but. The quote is, you date at the level of your self-esteem and maturity. No grown woman tolerates games and no grown man plays them. Oof. Yeah. You tell me what that means (laughs) to you. Well, you're married, so it's a little different. Yeah. But I think as you go from being in your 20s and dating and then to your 30s, you go from an evolutionary period in your life, right? When you're in your 20s, I would say both sides are still figuring themselves out. And through that, you end up playing some games of, are you really interested? Do you want to do something different? And so it kind of gets a little bit toxic in that nature. As you get into your 30s, you still have some of those dating tendencies that you accepted when you were 20 or in your 20s. And so there are moments when you're like, man, I'm so tired of these games, but this feels like what I need because it's what you're used to. Hmm. And so as you evolve into your thirties and you're kind of tired of that, it, it, you kind of have to draw a line in the sand to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to play that game anymore. But when you do that, you have to completely almost change the way that you look at dating. And so it's, it's a big transformation. It's been difficult for me to do as well, right? When you, get into something that's not that way. You're almost like, well, it feels like something's missing, Mm -hmm. but then you realize that it's because there's no games and it's easier. And so it's hard to balance like, all right, I know that I need more healthy relationships, but also I'm attracted to something that is different than that because of what I went through in my twenties. What are some of the games that you're trying to get rid of and how are you getting rid of them? Yeah, good question. I would say that in my 20s, I would chase women that were hard to get and a challenge. I would think, oh, that's because it's a challenge, it's valuable. And it's not always the case. Um, It's one of those things that just because it takes effort doesn't mean that the effort's worth it. And so focusing more on and backing into it, what are the beliefs and values that I aspire to have in a partner? And then looking for those first versus what are some of the emotions that I feel in a moment allow you to more thoughtfully work through if a relationship is healthy for me, myself. Interesting. Has that been challenging? Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. I think there are times when 
I'm still drawn to some of the things I was before. Mm-hmm. And you have to recognize them in the moment and make a decision to either lean into it or not. But I think it will always be somewhat of a challenge until you meet the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the awareness is so critical there. Yeah. And I think so much that I found in marriage, the love emotion, that like heady thing that you have early on is very nice, but it doesn't last. Respect is critical. And to men, actually, if you ask, usually, I'm not going to test you on this, but usually they say, can you love someone you don't respect? And men will answer, that's not, love is respect. Like, it's the same thing in their mind. Um, I don't know if that's true of you, but that's just what I've read. (laughs) And what my husband says as well. And so I think the respect thing is so, is is underrated compared to just the emotion, the emotional feelings. But the respect for one another is going to take you so much farther than that, that kind of puppy love um, that you get at the beginning. Yeah. And if you can't have that respect at some point that hits the fan. It does. And I think we back up to the original quote about self-esteem. I think, Self-esteem, at least for men, is super important. I, I've seen it before and I've, I've been there too, where someone will be like, man, I lucked out. Uh, she's above my weight class, right? Not literally, but you <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> maybe that was the wrong wording. Yeah, maybe not weight class. It was above my, what would it be? She's out of my league. Okay, I think that's, that's what much you say, better. Right? She's out of my Isn't league. <laughs> She's out of my weight class. What the hell? <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> a peek into Luke's love life. Wow. He likes strong good. women. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> if they can bench press Luke, they're good. Jeez. Um, back to my point. <laughs> the self-esteem of saying that and verbally saying, like, she's out of my league, is you know, you're taking your own self-value down and you're saying that if she leaves me, then I am what I, exactly what I think I am, which is less than her. And so Mm. it's happened to me, um, where I was in a relationship and I thought, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, she's out of my league and I'm, you know, doing, doing well here. Then it wasn't. And so then it took a big hit on my ego and my self-esteem and lowered my expectations of what I could achieve in a relationship. And I think that happens a lot to men is yeah. where they feel like they're, like I said, dating someone out of their league. And when it doesn't go well, it really takes a big hit to them. Yeah. And as a woman, I can say like a man who respects himself and draws boundaries of, of treatment, how he's willing to be treated and how, and the way he's not willing to be treated is incredibly attractive. Like my husband was very clear. Like there were certain, and I was young. So my husband's 10 years older than me. When we met, I was 23. I was a baby. He was in his thirties. So I was still playing games like we talked about. And he, he really refused to engage in those, which was kind of like, 
a surprise to me, but it was because he had that self-respect and he's like, that's not the type of relationship I'm going to be in. Yeah. And so that to me was like incredibly appealing because not only did that mean I didn't have to play games because I wasn't that good at at them anyways, but it also meant that we could just be so much more transparent. And I knew that there was a line Mm -hmm. and there was a, I would say a level of behavior that I had to maintain in order to spend time with him. Yeah. Um, and same with me. I mean, I think he would probably say this, a similar thing about me, but you have those standards and standards are incredibly attractive. Yeah. And someone you're dating. If you don't have the standards, you end up turning into somewhat of a people pleaser mm-hmm. or a nice guy. Right. Yeah, gross. Yeah. And a nice guy is not really nice. It's just a passive aggressive way to try to get something out of someone else. Mm-hmm. It's almost a manipulation of the situation. Mm-hmm. And so when you say nice guys always finish last, it's because they're not actually nice. It's because they're passive aggressively trying to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That was a good topic. It was a good topic. <laughs> Oh, I love this one. This is so good. Okay, this is kind of long, but it's worth it. He was always worried that deep down he might be a coward, that when the rubber met the road, he wouldn't be able to stand up and face whatever the world threw at him. He had faith in his ultimate self, but he'd never been pushed hard enough to prove it was justified. I could always hear my best self clearing his throat in the room next door. Love that one. That's a good one. How do you embody that in your life? I don't know if I've embodied it yet. How has it impacted you? I think, I think it is this idea that I want to meet my best version of myself or create or work hard enough to become that best version that's sitting in the other room. And I can feel that same thing in myself where I can hear her. I look, you know, I think about my 45 year old self and I'm like, man, I really wish I had started a business or my own brand or whatever it is 10 years ago. But my 45 year old self is going to be happy that I started now. Mm -hmm. So I just got to think about that. And I'm like, okay, how do I, continue becoming my best self and it's very challenging when other people around you who you respect or have looked up to for a very long time have their own opinion of what your best self is right so people telling you what your next role should be or what your next move should should be or i hate this one but like the people who say, and I'm guilty of this too, but the people that say, you know, I see myself in you, it pigeonholes you into this thing that I don't think is always what's best for you or your best version of yourself. It might've been the best version of that other person, mm-hmm. but you really have to seek out what that best version of yourself is. And I think that's incredibly challenging. I don't think I know what that is today. Um, I think I know facets of it. I think it's, you know, being a really present mom and being a um, dedicated and spouse who's supportive. And so I think I have pieces of that, but I don't think 
I've really been tested to the full limit. Right. Um, and so part of me doesn't really want to be tested that hard. Right. But part of me wants to just see if I can live up to it. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things there. I, I think when people say, I see myself in you, they're almost kind of jabbing you a little bit. Like you're not as good as me, but you have some qualities that has some potential. Yeah. And, and then if you think about the analogy of your best self being in the room next door, I always think about it as you're probably never, or there's not even a door to get in. You just hear them. And so as life progresses and you have new challenges, that person's a little bit further mm. and can going to continue to hear them. You're going to continue to say, that's the person I want to keep, keep being. So it keeps you chasing and growing. Mm. And I don't think you ever meet face to face, but it's always something in the back of your mind saying, I know I can be this person. And that probably changes every day as you continue to take on new things. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that as like, that's probably true. Your best self is probably iterative. I had this, I went to a holistic healer last week. Um, and she did this very, very interesting exercise where she said, think about your lowest point in life, which we've talked about, which was me sitting in the bathtub wanting to kill myself. Right. That was my lowest point just a few years ago. And she said, okay, now think about the best moment you've had. And now what if those two versions of you met? What would the best version of yourself say to the version of yourself that was crying in a bathtub? Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly eye-opening experience to say like, wow, yeah, I think she would probably have a lot of grace for that person sitting in the bathtub. Um, and I think she would also say, it's going to get better. And so it was just an, a wild, it's almost like this whole, like the best version of yourself is clearing your throat in the other room. And the only way to really get those two to me is to look back on your worst time in life and your best time and say, okay, if those two women could meet and talk, what would they say to each other? Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. It wow. was a widely, it was, or, or it was a wildly eye-opening experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a fair amount of low moments in everyone's life, but there are so many good moments. And if I was to think about the same thing, you know, I, I would also come from the same angle, right? There's so much wisdom you learn by going through all these things and say, you know what? I, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel this right now because life gets better. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. My next one here. It's about passion and purpose. And this is a quote from Simon Sinek. Passion is not an entry point. It is an exit point. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So I think in society, it's always follow your passion, chase your passion. And the reality is that passion comes from doing something where you feel like you're adding value. It doesn't have to be your hobby. It could be, but it has to be something where you feel fulfilled, fulfilled, right? If you go to a job and you're walking away feeling you work nine to five and you're feeling drained, that's not your passion. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing something, you're building something and you work a long day, let's say you work 18 hours, 
Like, man, that time went by so fast. Passion's the exit point, not the entry point. Mm. And I've felt that myself throughout my life as I go through different trials and tribulations. You work on something, you're working really hard, you're stressed, you're stressed and you feel drained. And then as you start to work on something you're really excited about, you want to keep going. You want to, you can't get, you can't be stopped almost. And time flies by. That's the exit point. That's where passion really lies. Hmm. Yeah. I think I love that because I'm not a naturally passionate person. Like I wasn't the kid who just loved something to death. I remember one of my best friends, uh, one of my best friends, uh, was in love with InSync. 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 Nice. Like obsessively. She would bake, she's going to hate that I said that, she would bake a birthday cake for JC Chazay every year on his birthday and celebrate his birthday. Oh, I thought she sent it to him. No. That's better. <laughs> no, she didn't send it to him. But we, should, we would literally throw birthday it's parties. It's bad, but it could be worse. Let's, let's be real. That's true. But I mean, her room was wall, you know, wallpapered with their stuff. She'd yeah. cry when she'd go and see them. Like it was right. She was, yeah. I never felt that. And I would always be like, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not super, super passionate. Right. And, uh, so whenever someone would be like, Oh, chase your passion. I'm like, what? The, I mean, what does that even mean? And so it is actually comforting to me because I don't naturally have those deep passions, but I do have affinities for things. And I'm able, like, putting work into something and becoming better at something increases my passion. I wasn't super passionate about France France or the French language when I started, but as I got better and realized I had an affinity towards it and I could, I had an okay accent and I could, you know, get along conversationally, my passion for it grew as I put in the work and realized that I have this affinity for it. And that... That I think aligns better than just go find a passion and chase after it. That's just never worked for me. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. You almost have to just find an area where you're adding value to life and you're learning and growing and that makes you fulfilled. Yeah. Passion's almost to me fulfillment. Are you fulfilled in what you're doing? It doesn't have to be a hobby. You might love sports, but that's not your passion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if you know what you want, the only thing stopping you from getting it is your inability to show up every day for a long enough period of time. Wow, that's a good one. It's good, huh? Yeah, it's really good. You just soak that in. The only thing stopping you from getting it is your inability to show up every day for a long enough period of time. Yeah, success doesn't happen overnight. It's just not possible. There's too many things that you have to learn to get you where you want to be. And as you go through these new challenges in life, you're going to get to these pivot points where you have to make a decision. And I've been in a pivot point at, at times with, with the podcast, right? I got to a point where I'm like, you know what, this is pretty hard. I need to do new things and try new things. And you either quit or you try new things. Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting in this podcast studio. We're doing new things because that's the way. 
And, and so people often, I think, and I've been guilty of this too, of thinking that it's a short amount of time that it's going to take to be successful when it's not, then you quit or you stop. And so saying, you know what, if I just look at the long enough time horizon, look into the future and can do it for that long, you can never not be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think we just have our time horizons, I think, are too short. If you think about almost everything in life, like one grade of school is just a year. So every single year we were getting, you know, some sort of feedback saying like, oh, you progressed, you progressed, you progressed. Um, when in rea- reality, I think the rest of life is like decades yeah. of progression. And that's a hard thing to swallow that it's going to take that long. And I remember graduating from college at 22 and thinking, man, like some of these people have been in finance for like 40 years and they know a shit ton more than I do. And I remember thinking, man, that's a really long time to have to wait to become good at something. Mm -hmm. And it was just such an eye-opening thing that that level of excellence takes so much time. I mean, even Warren Buffett, I think... I'm going to get these exact numbers wrong, but I think at the normal retirement age of 62, he was worth something like 50 million. Mm -hmm. Still significant amount of money, but not enough to be a household name. So he kept going for another 30 years. I think he's 91 or 92. And, you know, 99% of his personal wealth growth has been in those last 30 years, usually when people retire. Right. He's right off into the sunset too yeah. early. Mm-hmm. And it was just time in. Yep. It was, he had all the knowledge at 62. He just needed three more decades to continue growing and, and compounding on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if I look at the thing that I did for the most time in my life to date, it would be football. Mm-hmm. When I started at, you know, six years old and I played until I was 21, played for a very long time. And Every year you get a little bit better and you face challenges and setbacks, but you keep going. And so as we've talked about, when you get out of some of those childhood moments or younger moments, you feel like everything now has to happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a rush to get the business started and be successful and making a profit or whatever it is. When in reality, start and know that it's going to take 10, 15 years, 30 years Mm -hmm. or longer and just stick with it. Yeah. Bob Ross, the painter. Oh yeah. Can't be, can't be missed. (laughs) We all know Bob. Okay. He, I think it, he painted something like 30,000 paintings in his life. Wow. And when he, before he would do a show, I think he had three versions. So he would do, he would paint that exact painting three times and then he would do it live. And so, I mean, that was part of the magic, right? It was so 30,000 reps of painting happy trees. Yeah. You're going to become good. Right. Have you heard the Alex Ramosi snippet about him prepping for a presentation? Mm -hmm. 
Some people do it a couple times to practice. He would do it three times a day for months Mm -hmm. to perfect it. Mm -hmm. And that's the level time horizon that people often get wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so true. All right. You don't build trust by offering help, but by asking for it. Will you help me is a vulnerable statement. The act of service comes from allowing others to help you. For example, people who are bad at taking compliments. Someone says, oh, you're so smart. And you say, no, 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 no. You downplay it because you're embarrassed. But a compliment is a gift. Whether you like it or not, you accept it with gratitude. Then you evaluate it later. Hmm. Do you struggle taking compliments? I have, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Why? I think because I always wanted to do more. And so when someone would compliment me on something where I know I'm not at my full potential, it felt like I was leaving something on the table. Hmm. Hmm. So it was just from a very high standard you had for yourself, you think? Yeah. Interesting. Are you better at it now? I am better at it. I still, I still have to actively pause and slow down and say thank you when somebody compliments me. Mm. My first reaction is to dismiss it, but I am, it is something that I'm working on. Have you noticed anything changing now that you're working on it? I think the more you're able to accept gratitude, the more willing you're able to give it. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you yourself can't take a compliment, at least for me, I was less likely to go and compliment somebody else. And so as you start to accept it and say thank you and realize how powerful it is, you're more likely to say, you know what, that felt good. Like I want to go tell somebody that what they're doing is positive. Mm -hmm. Give them the compliment. So that's probably the biggest impact that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But it's hard. It's a challenge for me. Yeah, I think it is a challenge. I love, I've been so impacted by, and I think this is just my personality, but by compliments. I remember very clearly oh, many of the compliments, compliments I've been given by others. And I'm now, as I get older, especially trying to actively give that pay it forward um especially to other women mostly to everyone but especially to other women or older women too because i don't think probably as we age i don't i don't think we get as many compliments yeah and so i think and i think that's just i want to change that trend Um, But yeah, I just think about how much words were impactful to me, especially at some very vulnerable times in life, you know, as a teenager, as, you know, a young professional. And I'm like, I want to, I want to be able to do that for someone where they can go back and say, yeah, that one time she complimented me on X and that really gave me the confidence to do something I 
something greater, something more. Um, yeah. It all falls into that theme of giving. Yeah. As you, as you get to a certain point of wisdom, <clears throat> instead of just wanting to like, accept, you're more willing to give, yeah. I think. What about asking for help? Yeah, I think asking for help for me has always been also difficult. I feel like if I can't do it myself, then I have to keep trying until I can do it myself. And then once I'm able to, and I know I can achieve it, then I'm able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. But I think it can slow you down. And I think if you look at, if you look at the way that you can impact somebody, often it's by saying, hey, can you help me? Because that makes somebody feel like they're valuable in your life versus saying, no, no, no. Like, I appreciate you asking, but I'm good. Mm-hmm. Actually allowing them into your life and being vulnerable enough to accept, I think is powerful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I also suck at asking for help. I probably need to get, I, I know I need to get better at that. Um, Okay, next. Yep. Okay. Um, This one I saved for the last because this is my favorite one. Perfect. Success is the only revenge. Ooh, there it is. (laughs) That's my favorite one. (laughs) The best one. I'm going to print it out and I'm going to hang it up in my future clothing store. Nice. Success is the only revenge. I love it. And I think this this was especially a game changer for me when... Um, I mean, we've talked about this, but there was, I held up a lot of bitterness towards people that I had felt had wronged me in a professional, in, in, in business. And that really only ate at myself. Those other people didn't give a crap. Right. Like they were going on with their lives. It was only eating at myself. And for some reason I thought that, you know, holding this against them would somehow injure them or make them realize what they'd done, which is absolutely not the case. And then once I had heard success is the only revenge and, you know, it's, it's Alex Hormozzi who's saying that. And it was his 15 year old self, you know, working out with his coach. And he was talking about how like all these guys who make fun of me or, you know, I'm going to come back to our 20 year anniversary and I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to be so cool and da, 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 and they're going to be like, Oh dude, I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. I bullied you. And the coach was like, no, that's not true at all. It's like success is the only revenge you can have. Because once you get to a certain point, they don't matter anyway. They're yeah. not going to matter. They don't remember bullying you. No, they don't remember bullying you. You won't remember them. Yeah. If you get past yourself and get past your own bitterness, in 20 years, you won't remember them and you're going to be successful in doing your thing. And, and so success is the only way yeah. out of this. It's true. I think it's easy, and I know he said this too, but for people to throw stones and then they don't even remember. But it has a lasting impact on you as an individual if you let it. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I was going to do anyway and not listen to what they had to say. They're, They're not growing, they're not learning, and making sure that you keep it in that mind frame I think has been helpful. Cause there's a lot of people as you go through new things, 
their, their reality is changing, right? You're not the same person that they know. Mm-hmm. And so it's, they're going through a change and accepting this new version of you. And if they're not accepting, you have to make a decision of, you know, what is this something that I continue to worry yep. about or do I just push on? Yep. And I, I'm guilty of this too. You know, people would quit the company that we work out and go do something else. And I'd be like, oh, well, good luck to them. I mean, I hope most of them have done really well and are successful because because they should be like, that is the only revenge yeah. for me questioning them, questioning their ability to go do more. I hope they went and did more yeah. and never think about me again. Exactly. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. I definitely think it's opened my eyes up to, as people go on to new opportunities, it's, it's not about me as their manager. It's about them. Mm-hmm. Like they have a new opportunity. They have something else that they want to strive for. Just like we have aspirations and goals. So do they. And so, like you said, success is the only revenge. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, that's my favorite one. It's a great one. I have one last one here as well. You'll always feel a little bit lost right before you find yourself again. I think this one summed up my last year where I thought I knew who I was. I had the injury. It slowed me down. And I felt lost for a little bit. I didn't know where I was going to go next. Obviously with an injury, you're sitting on the couch or by yourself most of the time. And so you're thinking about like, man, this is going to be a year of my time where I'm in physical therapy and I'm trying to come back from this injury. And it just makes you think about everything. I felt, felt very lost. But now that I'm fast forward to now, I look back on it and I realize that it was an unnecessary pivot point for me I needed to be lost to find what was next Mm -hmm. and so similar to some of the things you talked about about your happy self talking to your sad self and sharing that wisdom I look back at myself you know nine ten months ago and I just want to say you know you're going to get through this it's going to be okay you feel lost right now but this is going to be good in the long run yeah that's how I truly feel yeah I remember that that period and I was really worried about you. That was was, yeah, that was hard. That was pretty devastating injury. Yeah. I mean, I'm still not fully recovered, yeah. but I'm getting close. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think the way you handled it was really probably pretty unusual in that you took it as a time to get stronger. Yeah. There's been some people that I've seen have similar injuries recently and I just know what they're going through. And so I reach out to them. I say, this is what helped me because I want to, I want to change the way people look at these setbacks, right? It doesn't have to be something where you sulk and feel the emotion, right? I had to feel the emotion to get through it, but take it as an opportunity to really look inward and say like, all right, who am I going to be when I come out of this? I'm going to be completely unrecognizable and take that lost moment to propel yourself. Yeah. I remember there's, someone I would talk to who had been in an abusive relationship and she said the first time he hit me, it took me six months to get over it. And I was just a shell, sort of a shell. And then I came back and, you know, I, I understood better of who I was. The second time he hit me, it took two weeks. Then third time I was gone that day. And I think that's just, the evolution 
uh, that she had to take. And it's just like being injured. Mm-hmm. You know, how long are you going to sit there and sulk? Right. How long was I going to be crying in a bathtub every night yep. before I just said, okay, am I going to recover or I'm just going to keep sitting here yeah. for the next forever. And so I'm hopeful that the next time I hit that low, it's more of a bounce and less of a just tr- stop yeah. and roll. It's true. And roll. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's so true. The older you, you get and the more wisdom you, you, I guess, earn by going through these moments, you realize that you're just going to continue to face obstacles. Like we're going to have more obstacles this year that we don't know that are coming. But given some of the things we've been able to overcome, I'm confident that I'll be able to overcome it. I'm sure you will be able to, too. And just having that in the back of your mind, just from a mindset perspective, I think is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It's just that stack of proof, right? Stack of proof. That you can do tough things. Yeah. Well, Elise, I appreciate you joining the show today. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. Any final thoughts for the audience today? Mm. I think this was a really good exercise for me because like you had said right before we started, we consume so much content and some of it's really good content. Some of it's absolute crap, but some of it's really good content. And if you don't go back and, and think about it and, you know, meditate on it and apply it to your life, then what are we doing? We're just consuming. Mm-hmm. We're not creating. And so this exercise was, I think for me, really helpful in kind of focusing on the things that hit me and continue to hit me and the things that I want to continue to think about um, over the next couple of years. And hopefully as I grow my business, apply more of these. Um, so I think that reflection was just really valuable. Yeah. And even if you do apply some of the content that you consume, taking a moment to say, yeah, I've actually changed in this area, mm-hmm. but not even knowing it, I think is pretty cool too. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah. I'll have to do this again. I know this is fun. A lot of fun. Thanks again. Thank you. All right.